With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. The choice is between normal, Natalie Cheel, or crazy. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, let's get it done. It's Monday, the 22nd of January, 2024. This is Open Line. I'm Rick Munn, Natalie Cheel, Gemma Cooper, and Neil McAvoy, and Phil Zimmerman will all be squashed into the next 56 minutes here live on TNT. Today's news talk. Hopefully everyone out there has had a good weekend and no matter who you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and of course, whatever you're doing, we hope it's nice. We hope you enjoy the show today. And of course, you can hang around after Open Line. I'll be doing the Locked and Loaded show where I'll also have a couple of great people to be talking to. Natalie, got a story here this morning. Uh, Someone sent it to me late last night, very, very close to home here. Uh, ties in a lot with mental health, lack of funding, uh, council squandering money, closing down essential services, uh, learning difficulties, uh, banger, voice to the vulnerable service to close. This is very close to where I live at the minute. Families have expressed utter shock at the closure of a day centre for adults with learning difficulties uh, in North Down in Northern Ireland. Promote Day Opportunity Service helps more than 50 people in Bangor, but is set to close at the end of March due to a lack of funding. One person said the service is her son's entire life. It's run by a charity called Action Mental Health on behalf of the Southeastern Health Trust. The charity and the trust in a joint statement said they regrettably can no longer provide the service due to rising costs and budgetary pressures. Then we have some statements here from the parents. Mandy McCrate, whose son Ben attends five days a week, says the move was utterly devastating. Families were written to to say that on the 31st of March, these services will close. And then there's a whole host of other people whose sons uh, and daughters benefit from the use of this service. In the same town, there's a hotel that has been commissioned uh, by the local council, shut down completely, full occupancy, housing people that have been uh, allegedly fleeing from war, death, destruction, and persecution. They're living there in pretty much five-star accommodation free uh, because the taxpayer is paying for it. Yet we have a mental health service here providing uh, a service to 50 vulnerable adults. That's closing because they don't have the money. It doesn't really add up, does it? It it doesn't. And as a parent myself to two special needs children, I can say there's been a massive issue for years uh, with any services uh, for uh, children or adults uh, who have got any type of mental health or learning difficulties. When I used to have real problems, I had to go to kind of voluntary places because there's so few places that are funded uh, by the government or the NHS. Uh, So you have to rely on volunteers who will actually help you. And uh, it just doesn't surprise me that they're closing, but it has such an impact on the family. Mm -hmm. Some of these families, they don't have a break. I mean, it's 24 seven care sometimes, you know, because they can't be left on their own at night. And uh, that little bit sometimes of respite, that, that one day, can mean that you can get through the week. So to take that away uh, with everything else going on, but then saying it's okay, anyone who hasn't paid in the system, they can come in and they can get full taxpayers' uh, like the gifts, basically. Benefits. Go live in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Go, li- go mm-hmm. live in a hotel, but we'll take it away from those people that are struggling on a day-to-day basis. And that could have 
drastic impacts on their lives and all of the family. So terrible, Rick. Really awful. And and it's in the same town, by the way, the, the same town that's closing down uh, uh, these day care facilities for these adults with learning difficulties, of which there are 50, five zero people using it. The same town and the same city here uh, has a hotel that's been commissioned overlooking the marina. Beautiful hotel, close to the public now, full of uh, migrants, uh, asylum seekers, refugees, whatever label you want to put on them. I see the delivery vans coming down there every morning from the local butchers, leaving in sausages, leaving in food, leaving in everything. You know, the balcony doors are open while in the mornings these people are just sitting looking out over the marina you know you couldn't buy this view for a million quid but yet we'll have a local daycare facility closing down for adult children and of course it's gonna it's gonna put them into a tailspin as well not like because it's very disruptive if they've been used to going there for a very long time as you could probably attest with your two boys they're yes. most likely like routine so when you take they that do. away from them then confusion it could put them into a tailspin it's just an absolute it's fiasco and uh, i just wanted to bring that uh to people's attention this morning because it ties in a lot with what we talk about here and it's also an issue that's close to home for you and also me because I live yeah. in this particular area but we're going to take a quick uh, pause right now we'll be right back here with Gemma Cooper on TNT today's news talk talk that matters for once we just need to do what's best for this same country and not what's best for the world today's news talk radio TNT Gemma, just very briefly, because I know you have a couple of updates for us here and a few different stories. But when we talk about, uh, you know, we talk about local areas, local communities that are affected, infrastructures affected by people piling in uh, from overseas. Uh, we don't know who they are sometimes. We don't know what they're doing. Infrastructure doesn't support it. Then all of a sudden you find that other things have to go to the wall to accommodate lack of budget. It, uh, it does stick in the throat a little bit. It does indeed. But of course, one is a globalist agenda. Uh, and the other one doesn't fit into their plans. It, it, that's the thing, isn't it? Looking after vulnerable uh, young people doesn't fit the globalist narrative. They couldn't care less. They do care about uh, multiculturalism, they call it. Um, we call it destabilizing factors within our communities. Um, but it is part of something much wider, isn't it? And I think more and more people are beginning to see that when the stories that you've just highlighted, you know, grassroots care for people that have lived, in the, lived there all their lives, paid their taxes, need some help, forget it. Forget it. There's, they've got bigger plans afoot for us, haven't they? They do. They do. But moving on a little bit from uh, that story to another uh, provision of services story, this uh, Muslim prayer ban case taken to court, school in England. Uh, there's shenanigans and skullduggery. We discussed about that last week. What's the latest on that one? Yeah, so just a, an update on a story that we have been covering now since since it broke, which is, of course, this school in uh, Wembley in North London, where uh, a student, a Muslim student, a pupil, is taking the head teacher to the high court. The hearing was last week, two-day hearing. A verdict's not expected till for a while. Um, took took the school to court because of uh, the head teacher's ban on Muslim prayers in the school. Uh, an extraordinary story, one that's uh, really been doing the rounds. But there are a couple of updates because I think, Natalie, you were the one that raised the point, you know, where's the money coming from? from for a pupil to take the head teacher and the school to the high court well it's emerged over the weekend that indeed as we suspected the money is coming out of the public purse the student was granted legal aid which is taxpayers money to fund her case 
uh, which could end up costing a million pounds on both sides from from both sides. So the costs are quite extortionate. Um, I'm amazed she got legal aid. I, I am amazed she got legal aid for this. Uh, I, I, any self-respecting lawyer would have said we're not touching this one. But no, no, she got legal aid, public money to take this case to court. It's also emerged over the weekend that this student was actually uh, suspended last year for threatening to stab another girl. We do know that the pupil is a girl, but she was suspended for threatening to stab another pupil. And still she's got legal aid to 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 effectively waste the head teacher's time, uh, time and money when really, as the head teacher rightly has said now, she's been giving interviews, you know, all we want to do is create a school with a cohesive culture where children are encouraged to be British. We don't single out one religion over another and we just want to get on with the job of teaching. So that's a couple of new lines on this story. The, the judgment mm. isn't uh, hasn't happened yet. It'd be interesting to see which way the judge goes with this story, but that's just a quick update from it over the weekend of a story that I think has generated a hell of a lot of interest. Legal aid, eh? Legal aid's available to take this case to court. Could run into, I don't know what the fees would be. Could be 100 grand, could be 200 grand or more. And yet we talk about a day uh, facility here for uh, a vulnerable adults. Uh, I'm sure 100 grand would keep that place up and running for another 12 months to two years. But hell no, the money's not there. We have to close the door, write the letters to the parents for the 31st of March. But you take a case to court about a school prayer ban, of course, the money's there if they need it. It's disgusting, uh, quite frankly. Uh, we'll move on from that one. I don't want to get triggered too early in the morning here. Uh, <laughs> but there's an MMR uh, story here we'll have to cover as well. Gemma, parents urged to book missing MMR vaccines amid very real risk of outbreaks. My goodness me, the old uh, confidence is waning. Something shocking in the vaccines. Uh, would that be a fair point? It, it is, yeah. I mean, the UK Health uh, Security Agency has today started a campaign um, due to rising measles figures in, in parts of the country, the West Midlands specifically. Um, and they've launched a campaign today. I'm, I'm not surprised they've come out all guns blazing with this one. They're saying, you know, parents that have missed the MMR and their children must have the jab uh, and letters are going to be sent to um, kids aged, uh, where are we, uh, one to six, uh, no, sorry, six to 11, and also a million uh, 11 to 25 year olds in, in London and in the West Midlands will also be targeted. They'll be ordered to have missing MMRs. And the UK Health Security Agency is saying it's a, it's causing serious concern that the vaccine uptake in children of this particular jab, the MMR, which is obviously very controversial, they say it's really concerning them. Now, it's to protect against measles, which is one of those common childhood illnesses. It is very contagious, but one in a thousand may develop encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain and that can lead to deafness but it, it is a bit like you know the chicken pox kind of thing where the, the the it's very very contagious and there is an analogy that you're kind of meant to get these things when you're young and then you do build up immunity for later and it can protect you against other things too now i'm not a medical person but there is a theory that says once you've got measles, well, it's pr pretty proven. Once you've got measles, you don't get it again. And it's almost like it kickstarts something in your natural defense system as a young person, just like chickenpox, chickenpox parties. We all remember those for this, from the 70s and 80s. Um, but no, there's a, it, it is the jab. And it's interesting, it's the MMR. Um, and, you know, we have seen this explosion of autism, which are the allegations that Andrew Wakefield uh, made all those years ago. Um, and I, I'm going to bring this one to the table. I used to be a patron of a local charity for kids aged 0 to 5 who had autism. And uh, I asked the founder of that charity whose daughter was affected by the condition. And I said, why do you think we're seeing this massive rise? Because she said when she started the charity, there was few children coming through the doors. This was 20 years ago, nearly 30 now. Um, and I said, why do you think we're seeing this massive rise in kids with autism? This is before I was awake. And she looked at me and she said, never, ever repeat this, but I think it's the MMR. 
and she was she said I can't say that I'll lose all my funding but she she said that to me she's no longer in charge of that charity so it's not surprising that can you know confidence in vaccines is at an all-time low um they're trotting out the words today the UK health security agency of they are safe and effective well if that's not enough to put people off I don't know what is um but yeah that's where we are today and interestingly the chief of the UK health security agency is is the one and only dame Jenny Harris who at the time of COVID was telling everybody to wear a mask or you will die and she sent subsequently went into the COVID inquiry a few months ago and said no masks don't work so she's the ultimate gaslighter so yeah MMR all-time low uh, measles on the rise but uh, the figures aren't enough for concern I don't think with measles and also most kids do get over it um, not final I, words in this yeah, one yeah. I was gonna yeah I'm, I'm extremely passionate about this one I'm gonna get it in as much as, as I can I knew this was gonna happen uh, I got my first text message on the 11th of January your child is in year nine and they are outstanding their measles mumps and rubella vaccination uh, they are that's the first text I've had in about five or six years or communication about it we then covered the story last week that Birmingham schools were uh, taking school children out for three weeks if they hadn't been vaccinated because of measles cases apparently uh, i just want to say that um i do believe my eldest child had autism anyway i mean that could have been from the jabs he had when he first uh, was born but uh, he uh, had his MMR before that. He was walking around uh, the cot. He was able to wave his arms. He had his MMR jab at a year old. His eyes rolled back and he couldn't even stand up for two weeks. He then wasn't able to speak till he was five years old. Um, and he has got significant autism. My youngest son who hasn't had the MMR jab or any vaccinations does have autism, but to a much, much lesser degree. My opinion on it is that it doesn't necessarily give you autism but it will make your symptoms of autism far far worse so safe and effective from someone's child who i had to see there who laid like a zombie for two weeks after that jab not for me absolutely not so you know have a real think about what you want to do and go research it is what i would say rick Gemma, we've got uh, just one minute left here. There, there's obviously uh, a lack of confidence in these. You're talking about a million letters being sent out to some groups of children. Like when you think about that, that's an awful lot of people that have shirked the, uh, or not shirked, uh, avoided uh, taking their kids to see this. Could we see this uh, get worse over time or get better just very, very quickly? In terms of what the measles outbreak or the lack of confidence in the MMR, the, 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 I, the, the lack of uh, the lack of confidence. Period. I think this is just, uh, and this is just one category of injection. Remember, uh, there's other categories of injections that haven't provided figures for just yet. I think really what I'm getting at is uh, you highlighting this story. We're not talking about you know twenty thousand kids, thirty. We're talking about a million letters that have been sent out to catch up with missed jobs here. And I think a lot of people, the penny is certainly dropping with them that maybe the kids don't need to be endlessly jabbed from birth or from cradle to grave really let's be honest about it uh, because they never want to stop sticking needles into your arm and I think this story just basically highlights the fact that people are coming around and coming to their senses uh, so big thanks to you for bringing that one to us this morning we've got to stop now take a little break and uh, welcome our first guest this show so big thanks to you Gemma speak to you again in the next hour and don't go away in the meantime Nat Neil and I will be back in just a minute here on TNT today's news TNT Kate Shimarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs. What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. 
they get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special, special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, fluoridated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shimarani on today's News Talk TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. The Net Zero Con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Open Line. Don't forget the lines are open and you can have your say at the end of the show with me and Rick. Joining us now is Neil McAvoy. He is uh, at X. You can follow him at Neil J. McAvoy. He is leader of Propel Wales and councillor for Fairwater, uh, a new political party that wants to free Wales, which sounds very good to me. He's here to talk about 2,800 jobs that are to be axed at the Talbot still works in South Wales. Uh, it's in preparation, would you believe it, for a green, climate-friendly electric furnace. So morning, Neil. How are we doing? Do you reckon good news for Wales? Reducing the carbon emissions by a massive 1.5%. It's another disaster, another industrial disaster, which we've suffered in Wales since the, the 1980s. In the 1980s, we had the, the Conservatives in London destroying the coal industry. Uh, destroying the, the steel industry, what is left now is um, being destroyed by the Labour Party in government in Wales. For listeners that may be not uh, aware of the set- setup in Wales, we have a Westminster government which is Conservative, and we have a devolved government in the Welsh Parliament, of, of which I used to be a member, which is Labour. And everything is about net zero. Everything is about the, I suppose, the the mantra, the the, the religion almost. And the bottom line is that there is no market for green steel. The, the, the steel which the, the Welsh government were proposing is of inferior inferior quality, cannot be used in infrastructure, and has no market. Wow. And uh, what impact will this have on the local area and economy if all 2,800 jobs are to go there? The, the impact is going to be massive. In, in the, the late 20th century, we saw the complete destruction of communities with, with the the destruction of the coal mining industry and Port Talbot is really one of the, the last areas of in, industrial production in Wales of that of that type pr- primary industry it's going to be devastating for the whole economy uh, I fear what will happen really it's going to become a desert uh, you, you're probably going to see a rocketing of massive social problems and what, what I find most annoying and outrageous is it, it just doesn't need to happen another thing which people are completely unaware of uh, literally um, a mile or so just within the local area of Portal, but we have huge gas reserves in Wales. We've got billions of pounds worth of gas 
and the government policy is to leave it there and import the gas from places like Norway. Uh, equally, if the steel if the steel industry goes, we're going to import we're going to be importing from China. Like, I just find it really funny in a really odd sense or ironic that yeah. you you see the media driving the agenda of a, a war with Russia and all, all this kind of stuff. Um, we're just completely exposed in terms of uh, defence of of the UK of of Wales because we'll, we won't be able to manufacture steel. We won't be able to build yeah. anything. So we're going to be held hostage and. Also, literally, probably just within five miles, there's a natural supply of coal, which could be used for that um, steel, you know, uh, steel centre. It, it's it beggars belief, but I think we're in, we're a brand new party in Wales. We've not been set up long. We're set up really to try and break the status quo, quo from a from a Welsh perspective. Because at the end of the day, I, I call the both leading parties Tory parties in Wales red and blue they're the same really i think you see the same phenomenon in america with republicans and democrats and uh, what we're trying to do is push the agenda of freedom within wales we're, we're very much uh grassroots up party we, you know, we're just starting off and um we're keen to highlight these issues yeah, absolutely. I read as well uh, this morning, as you said, the new furnace relies on imported scrap steel. Uh, so it's going to affect the national security. Uh, we can't import our own steel. Uh, your party itself and the unions as well are saying they're going to fight this. Do you think the unions are going to be able to have any impact at all? The unions will not be allowed to have any impact because of the political control exercised by the Labour Party. The, the unions basically fund the Labour Party, which is the, the, supposedly the political arm of the trade union movement, but it's actually the other way around. And I'm involved in other disputes, such as in Cardiff, where the the, um, the refuse workers uh, refuse workers who collect the, the rubbish in the city are on strike and not really getting a great deal of support from uh, trade unions generally, let's say. There's one trade union on strike, and they're not even getting support of other trade unions because it's a Labour administration in Cardiff. So ultimately, this comes down to politics. We're not going to change anything in Wales until we start to vote differently. And that, that that's what we're about. As I've lived in Leafless Chester, thousands of leaflets distributed because we're trying to wake people up and make people realise where we're heading. And it's not a very nice future, as we know. And I'm sure the local community, Rick, are not going to be happy about this. Do we think protests is a way to go to wake people up uh, with what's going on here? Well, the, uh, protests, I don't think, are going to make any difference because if Tata have made this decision to close this plant down, uh, you know, they're they're a multi um, multinational corporation. I think they're based, they're Indian owners. Uh, they'll look at, they'll acknowledge people protesting. They'll, they'll say, listen, we realise you have a right to say this and a right to do that. But the bottom line is, if they've made their mind up about this, I think they're going to follow through on it. And Neil, those figures there, uh, 2,800 jobs, that's just within Port Talbot alone. Two and a half thousand yeah. of those could be within the next 18 months. So this isn't something that's going to be, yeah. you know, dragged out over a period of two years, 250 a year. This is mm. two and a half thousand within 18 yeah. months, 300 within three years and the cost of living crisis Port Talbot's not exactly what you would call a mega city. Uh, that's going to have a massive uh, detrimental impact, not just financially, but also on people's mental health. Can you imagine the, yeah. the unemployment, what it's going to be like trying to find other jobs in a small place? I guess everyone's scrambling for employment. It's just a, it's just another unmitigated disaster for Wales under the, the Labour administration. It is. I mean, it, it, Wales is already a poor area in terms of salary, um, Cardiff's not too bad, but in comparison to places like London, it, it is a different universe. 
I mean, you know, property prices are completely different. It's going to devastate the whole community. You know, cafes are going to go, pubs are going to go, pubs are going anywhere. We know that. And I just, just fear for the future, really. But people need to wake up and see why this is happening, where it's going, and they need to, they need to abandon what they've been doing for decades, which is which is voting in Labour in Wales. Because I mean, well, I think the local MP, yes, Stephen Kinnock, millionaire, and I think that's quite common now with Labour politicians. They're generally millionaires. The first minister in Wales, another millionaire, um, completely detached from reality. Um, but until we break the cycle and get people to vote differently, nothing's going to change. And I think maybe what the effect could be is a, rad- a radicalization of people politically. Or people may just become even more fed up and more depressed and and opt out even more because in Welsh elections, only 40, 44% of the people vote. You know, it, more than half do not vote. So you've got a very comfortable, I'd say, parasitic new class of people who live off the Welsh Parliament, of which, as I said, I was a member. So I'm pretty well clued into the corruption in Wales. And I mean, we don't have a media here either. It's refreshing to, to come on, on air to talk because BBC, BBC Wales is completely in the pocket of the Labour Party, completely. Uh, and what you have is a revolving door here. You have lobby lobbying companies who I, let's say, butted, head with, butted heads with when I was elected and covering scandals. They work with the politicians. They dole out the jobs. And uh, we're on a downward cycle, really. And uh, what we're doing in Propel is saying, look, enough is enough. You know, we, we need to change this. So we, we have a radical bunch of policies. And our job now is to get out there uh, increase membership more than what we are doing and yeah. become a force. We, we know we can get elected in the next Welsh election to the Welsh Parliament, and that's that's the game, really. Once we're in there, then we, we can we can expose things, and people like myself, who ideally will get elected, will have a whole team of people behind them, not like last time well, what, when I was elected for a different party. Well, what we'll do is uh, we've got to call time in this one for right now, Neil, but I really appreciate you uh, coming on to have a chat with us. Maybe what I'll do is uh, I'll get you back on uh, my Locked and Loaded show. We've got a little bit longer and you can tell us a little bit more about the political aspect of what you're trying to do here because there's a lot of grassroots uh, activists that we've tried to get on from Wales just to give them a voice and to give them a platform, let people know what they're up to here on TNT. So big thanks Mm -hmm. uh, to you again for taking the time to come on here. And uh, we've got to go. Thank you very much. got to depart for right now but we'll stay in touch and we'll get you back on for a longer chat so that's uh, Neil McAvoy from Wales we've got to take a brief pause for news headlines here and Nat and I will be back after the news with Phil Zimmerman for an update on what's been going on leading up to the uh, Julian Assange hearing on uh, February so don't go away stay tuned here to TNT today's news talk now's a good time to break the big news TNT radio news Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines The UN has condemned Ukraine for shelling a busy market in Russia's Donetsk People's Republic, killing 27 civilians. Donald Trump is one step closer to securing the Republican presidential nomination after yet another one of his rivals dropped out of the race. And Britain's Royal Navy has been left red-faced after video went viral showing two of its warships colliding in the Middle East. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, we are joined right now. We're just waiting for the audio 
button to click in and connect with Mr. Phil Zimmerman. Phil is an actor, a comedian, and also an activist. And last week, he was at a meeting that was to do with an update on the Julian Assange business. Uh, there's an, uh, There was a meeting held last week in Conway Hall in London. Uh, Stella Assange was at that. Uh, Alexi Sale, the old British comic, was at that. A few other heads were at that one as well. So we're just going to get an update now. Hopefully, we're connected to Phil. Phil, uh, you were there last week. Uh, what was the what was the word in the street? Yes, I, I was there, Rick. Um, nice to uh, be back with you again um, mm. to uh, follow up on our last talk about it. Yes, it was uh, very encouraging. I mean, on the coldest day of the year, it was very well attended, and um, there was a panel of um, of speakers: um, the Labour MP Richard Bergen, uh, the Unite Union leader Len McCluskey. David Davis, a Conservative MP, Jeremy Corbyn and, and Stella Assange, a, a Julian's wife. And um, of course, this was all focused on the uh, the trial that's coming up at the Royal Courts of Justice in the, the Strand on the 20th and 21st of uh, February, which is a really um, big date now for Julian Assange uh, for his freedom. Um, the last chance, really, of getting justice in in the UK. Um, so, um, yeah, um, there were some um, interesting speeches made, and um, I could give you some. Would you like to hear the details? Yes, from, please. From some of the uh, from some of the speakers. Um, yes. Um, well, Richard Bergen, the Labour MP. I'm just going to quote some of the things he said. That he said that Julian is languishing in Belmars. Has been languishing in Belmars prison for many years as if he's a convicted criminal, not because he's been charged with any crime, but because of his journalistic work, work to tell the truth that the powerful did not want the public to see, the truth about war crimes and human rights abuses, breaches of international law. And we now have the shameful situation where a journalist could be jailed in a US super maximum security prison for life, aided by the Home Secretary who signed the warrant for his extradition. We cannot stand by while common journalistic practices, which have long served the public interest, are criminalised in this way. This case is not simply about Julian Assange and his work, but about our country being involved in too many unjust wars in recent years. And much of what we know about the crimes committed in those wars were exposed by the fearless work of Julian Assange. And this case is about a more important principle, Bergen continues. A group of cross-party MPs on numerous occasions have tried to raise awareness of the case in Parliament and beyond, pressuring the Home Secretary not to sign the extradition warrant. Forty MPs wrote to the US Attorney General because this case does not stop with Julian Assange. It will have a chilling effect on journalism. And in my opinion, Richard Bergen's opinion, is designed to have a chilling effect on all journalists. This was a warning to all journalists worldwide and sets a dangerous precedent. So that was um, that was what Richard Bergen said. He also added, um, "This case is about is about one of the great freedoms, the right of the press to hold governments to account, and it's a landmark moment." Um, you know, one of the messages really of of the night, Rick, was that we need to make a lot of noise about this, and there was an appeal for everyone there to bring at least two people along on February twenty twenty first, and to uh, really spread awareness of of the case. And um, anyone who wants to 
uh, stay updated, you can go to actionnetwork.org and, and search for Julian Assange and you can find a lot of information on there. Um, another one of the speakers uh, was uh, Jeremy Corbyn, former Labour leader who got a, a rapturous uh, reception. And he said, it's important to recognise the role that has been played by our media in this. It is by any standards a global story when a very well-known, famous, brave person, Julian Assange, uncovers deeply uncomfortable truths about a lot of things, not just the USA, about the horrors that went on in various wars and about the ways in which governments operated to try to silence dissent and opposition. And I ask myself, Corbyn said, where have the majority of the British media been with all of this going on? Even when there is a case going on in the High Court, not 10 minutes away from their offices, who are the journalists there? And I've noticed this myself very much so. They seem to me to be from every other country in the world except this one, said Corwin. Is it a problem they have over transport around London? I don't know. I just hope that when we are there in February, there is going to be extensive and detailed coverage of this absolutely crucial trial because it matters to all of us. It's not a matter of whether you agree or disagree with US policy on Guantanamo Bay or agree, disagree with Afghanistan, Iraq and so on. You do need to know what is being done in your name and how those decisions are made. You do need to know what the consequences of those decisions are. Um, so I don't know how much time you've got, Rick, but David Davis also spoke um, and he was gave a very interesting pers uh, perspective on the uh, contrast between the American and the British uh, judicial systems. Uh, have you got time for a, Phil, a bit more? Phil, I, I, I tell you, we've got a couple of minutes left, but the one thing mm. that I did want to ask you was, okay, that was obviously a, a very well-attended meeting. There were a lot of mm. people there. For example, uh, Julian's wife was there. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn yeah. was there fighting his corner. Uh, what was the what was the the vibe in terms of very solemn, I would imagine, because there's a lot riding on this. This is a make-or-break date, 20th, 20th. 21st of February, uh, Royal Courts of Justice. Was there an optimism or is there an optimism or, or is there just uh, an undecided? You get what I mean? The mood of the meeting, uh, was there a quiet optimism there or was it like very solemn is really what I'm trying to say? I think it was a determined mood. Um, yep. um, Stella Assange in her speech um, spoke about the sadness of you, you losing John Pilger, who was a very... Um, uh -huh good friend of and great supporter of Julian Assange. So that was a very solemn moment. But she did say at the end, at the end of, of her talk, he will be freed. And so there was a, a great really sense of determination, I think, to to carry on and right to the end and, and uh, see justice, uh, um, see justice in the end. Not what do you reckon about this? I mean, it's been uh, talked about now for a very, very long time. It's coming to head next month. There's a lot riding on it. Uh, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be fantastic to see justice done? And I, I don't even want to think about what it would be like for him if he does end up getting extradited and potentially face a hundred odd years in a supermax prison in America. What do you reckon? Uh, it, it would be the very, very best result. But they they sadly almost this case is kind of epitomizes the free speech problem in the West. You know, they're using him as an example uh, to stop other people from speaking out. Uh, so we uh, as, you know, non-mainstream, non-legacy media station and everyone else has got to keep highlighting this case and do everything we can uh, to get Julian 
freed because uh, uh, they will continue, I'm sure, to try and uh, use him to shut everybody else up moving forward and other journalists as well, as Phil has rightly said. Yeah, and the sobering part about this is, Phil, you know, it, uh, if they do manage to succeed in this one with Julian Assange, this, without being, you know, over dramatic, it could be you or me uh, in five or ten years' time with all these draconian laws that are being pushed through at the minute. So I want to give you a big thanks this morning for coming back again, Phil, and for giving us thanks, an update Phil. on that. If you don't read Thank you, it's one, a pleasure. Uh, you're welcome. You can follow Phil on uh, X or Twitter or whatever platform that you use at Zim Fillerman. Uh, very uh, tough for me to roll that off the tongue. Zim Fillerman, uh, Z-I-M-P-H-I-L-L-E-R-M-A-N. I'm trying. It's practice. This is the third time I think I've had to say it now. So uh, big thanks to you as always, my friend, for coming on today. And uh, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, we'll see some uh, positive outcomes from this in February. So that's uh, Zim Fillerman or Phil Zimmerman, as he's also known. Uh, we've got to take a brief pause now for some, some adverts. Give you time to recuperate, you lovely people out there. We'll be right back uh, here in a minute or two on TNT, today's news talk. Hi. I'm your retirement fear. But don't be scared. You're still in pre-tirement. Pre-tirement? Does that mean I have more time to plan? Precisely. Here, this is pretirement.org. Huh. Retirement savings options? <laughs> Potential tax breaks? Yep. Ooh. Oh, I could build up savings for my side hustle. This isn't scary. I'm doing it. You got this. <laughs> Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. Two, think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighborhood safer place. Three, it's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. You're with Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio TNT. Okay, uh, this is Open Line, and you know, this is your time, people. This is your time to shine or lift up your phones if you feel so led to do so. Uh, give us a call. Check out our website, tntradio.live. Telephone numbers are on there, and up until about, you know, two minutes to the hour, we're good to take calls here should you feel motivated to do that. Otherwise, you can just sit back and listen or leave us a message in our live chat. Again, tntradio.live. If you haven't already checked out our website, please do so because some some of you may be watching uh, on the streaming platforms and haven't even 
uh, delved into the website yet because we're getting a lot of new listeners by the day. So it's all good. Natalie, we have uh, several stories here. One you've highlighted here talking about forfeiting of football games. I know you're very passionate about your football, football racism, uh, forfeit matches when fans are racist, say FIFA's Infantino Infantino wants games to be forfeited for some nasty words coming from the Terrace. Surely you can't be serious about this one. They are. They're being deadly serious. Like, I, I mean, I'll get it right this time. We don't condone racism, obviously. And there are. No. Yes, did I get it right that time? Don't, don't, we don't, don't condone listen, don't it. Wanna... That yeah. was a classic. We condone all forms of racism here. On <laughs> I said that no, last condemn. week, so I'm making sure. Condemn. I'm making sure I've got the right words this time. <laughs> but um, yeah, so there were two incidents over the weekend. Uh, we had one at AC Milan, um, uh, where the goalkeeper Mike Manigan, I think it is, and Coventry's Casey Palmer in the UK. There were a couple of fans, I think one or two, in either matches, uh, making monkey uh, kind of. Mm -hmm. towards those players now obviously that's not right but to me uh it's about personal responsibility here you can't say because one or two fans uh ruin that for everybody mm -hmm. else that's personal responsibility ban mm -hmm. the fans for for life if you want to do that you know find the fans that's on them but what they're trying to say is they're actually you might deduct points forfeit a match now how is that fair on the whole coaching staff Crazy. the whole team right the rest of the fans you know and 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 yeah we nobody wants racism uh in, in any form but why should everyone else have to suffer for just a couple of people's actions and it seems this is the this is the way that everybody wants, uh, you know, in any kind of authority now. The same with COVID. Everyone has to suffer. You know, it, it's for me, this is an absolute disgrace for football uh, moving forwards. Um, can you imagine what opposition fans will end up doing if this actually happened, Rick? You know, if you've got Manchester United uh, versus Liverpool, they hate each other. You'll get some Man United fans going into the Liverpool end deliberately, by the way doing monkey gestures in order to get Manchester United's points deducted. Can you see what I mean? Where this could potentially go. And and it's I just keep remembering what Morgan Freeman said. The only way to remove racism is to stop talking about it. Why do you think these incidents are going up, Rick? Because they can't stop talking about it. So since the BLM movement come into place, there's been more racism in football than there was before they were taking the knee. Oh, I'll take a breath now. As you can tell, I'm passionate about this one. It frustrates me. Yeah, and here's the thing too, Natalie, let's be honest about it. When you put a crowd of people together, you know, big Premier League football matches, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 people, there's a huge mixture of people in there. You fuel alcohol in there. You fuel it the is, passion for the game in there as well. And maybe someone scores a goal against your favourite team. Someone's going to zero in maybe on their skill and colour and give them a load of racist abuse. And of course, it doesn't have to be just directed towards black people. The abuse towards uh, footballers goes right across the board. It's not just to do with skin colour. There's all sorts of abuses hurled at players to do with their family lives, to do with their sexuality, to do with all sorts of things. Think about Eric Cantona, that famous Kung Fu kick that he did on somebody that was abusing him. 
uh, Cantona is not black, but somebody said something to Cantona that caused him to launch himself into the crowd and uh, do a two-footed kung fu kick on a supporter. So also important to realize here, uh, it is, you know, highlighted. The, the, the racism against black players is very much highlighted in football, but the abuse that players get when they go onto the pitch uh, can be ferocious. But they've got to be prepared for that. You know, they're grown men. They've got to realize if you're sitting in a stadium with, what, 60,000 people there, there's alcohol involved and passion involved. People are going to shout nasty, abusive things, whether it's your skin color, your sexuality, about your marital life, you know, about your personal life. People are going to have a pop, aren't they? I was going to say a good example, because we spoke about him last week, was Paddy Kenny. He was the Sheffield United goalkeeper, and it came out that his wife had cheated on him, and he used to wear big jogging bottoms, and he wasn't the slimmest of fellas. Uh, he was known. So every time, and it's a goalkeeper, the away supporters would scream, Oi, fatty, you uh-huh. you know, stuff about his wife. You know, I was yeah. there. I was one of the away fans once, and he used to, like, kind of take a bow and just, like, and just lap it up, up and laugh about it. Um, nowadays, what would they do? they start banning anyone for fat phobia after this yeah. so they forfeit games they take points away you know punish the players because people have had too much to drink and then and then next time somebody somebody overweight comes on and they start you know rubbing their belly does that get them sent out and forfeited games too yeah it's you know where do we ridiculous. draw the line well, I think I, I, I'm not a big footy fan, but I think Wayne Rooney used to get a lot of flack yeah, about did. his belly and about his hair, his receding hairline and his, uh, you know, her implants as well. Maradona, arguably one of the greatest footballers of yeah. all time. He was a little fatty too. Uh, tubby little guy, but boy, he knew how to score goals. And then you think about boxing as well. Ricky Hatton, uh, his nickname was Ricky Fatton uh, whenever he was yeah. off season. He used to balloon up and wait. But, you know, listen, if you're in the public eye in any way, shape or form, someone out there is going to find something about you that they don't like and start getting vocal about it. And unfortunately, when you do put your name and your face out there, not in sports or any other arena, you've got to be prepared for nasty people saying nasty things. And if you can't take it or you can't hack it or it's going to break you then it's time to retire maybe or step back if you just can't handle it because it ain't going to go away and and don't be wrong we're not saying about it you know there shouldn't be people doing those racist no. things in the no. fat stand absolutely not but my point also is is there's been more incidents since you keep talking about racism mm-hmm. since you make people take the knee so you know this article and this man coming out saying forfeit in matches that's not gonna help racism the more you keep talking about it the more you keep punishing people the more people are gonna have it in their mind and the more type people are gonna do these gestures it's like it's so basic and yet we just keep getting worse and worse and worse and more and more divided and uh, yeah it's got to be about personal responsibility ban the personal people if you want but trying to punish everybody else for their actions is absolutely wrong I think this is, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, and you know, aggravation, an aggravation story. I can't see how they could ever enforce this. Although, having said that, in the mad world in which we live, there's a very real possibility that they do push this through. This FIFA president pushes this through, but like everything else, uh, time will tell. Uh, we've got another story here uh, to do with uh, euthanasia. That's a subject that we've covered quite a lot here over the last year or so on uh, Open Line. Uh, teacher secretly pays. Uh, to be euthanized, told his family he was visiting a friend but went to Switzerland and paid a clinic 10 grand to help kill himself and it was fully legal. So yeah, you got 10 grand to spare, you can make the trip to Switzerland, they can take care of that business, not a problem. 
talked about suicide kits being sent out from Canada, people in the post, uh, death pods being manufactured in Scotland. You remember the nitrogen-filled pods that are going to be available there. You just press a button and uh, it's all over. Uh, it seems to be suicide as something, instead of being highlighted as something to watch out for and prevent suicide prevention, it seems to be there's a, an enabling uh, movement going on here at the minute and they're actually pushing it in some places. Yeah, I mean, this was an odd article. It was in the Daily Mail. And you'd think to start with, they were saying they were against this uh, kind of uh, assisted suicide because uh, they were highlighting that this is not like Dignitas. It was a clinic, a Pegat. Pegasus Clinic, uh, and uh, he was able to go there. He didn't have a diagnosed condition. He didn't tell his family. They had to report him missing. That you know, it was it was a pretty awful experience for the family. Uh, but then it goes on to say, and this is why we need more uh, uh, the law to be changed so we can allow assisted suicide in Britain. So you know, it kind of. The, the article changed as it went on. So rather than, you know, being against it and saying, you know, suicide, we need more support. We need more support for mental health services. Uh, it's basically going, well, this wouldn't happen. And this man wouldn't have gone to Switzerland if we just changed the laws in the UK and let him die here instead. And then the family would have been happy. So, you know, that's why I wanted to highlight it, because you know, it, it, it's basically showing us we know this. We saw it happen with the XL Billy story. I saw it happen with the measles story. You can tell what's going to be pushed. If you analyze the news, uh, these type of stories are going to be pushed more and more because they want to change the assisted suicide laws in this country. Whether it will be this year, whether it be next year, it's coming. We're going to see more and more uh, stories like this basically saying, oh, it was all, everything will be better if you just let more people die in this country. No prevention, no, nor to, no talk about suicide prevention and mental health services. Just everything will be okay if you let people die, Rick. Doesn't seem right to me. It, it, it's it's a terrible state of affairs, you know. And to get to that point in your life where you would want to pay ten thousand euro to travel to Switzerland, you know, and lie to your family saying you're going away to visit someone or you're going on a holiday, only to go over there and uh, commit suicide. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible position for people to be in, Natalie. And when we think about that, you compare it to the first story we covered here, Action Mental Health in the area that I live in are closing down a service to 50 uh, adults with learning difficulties because they don't have any money. And there are people paying 10,000 quid to go to commit suicide. And I'm not judging anybody for doing that, but when you hear about stories like this, on one hand, you have services closing, mental health services closing for a lack of funding. And on the other hand, you have people that are paying 10,000 quid in one instance to travel overseas to actually commit suicide. It's a really screwed up uh, world that we're living in right now. And to get, just to give a little bit of background to this story as well, uh, Alistair, the, the man that they're talking about, um, he had been battling with low moods. He had extreme weight loss. They couldn't find what was wrong with him. So, you know, he, he had physical and mental illness. Uh, he had to give up working and uh, he paid for that himself. He didn't tell his family. Yeah. What was very sad about this was that, um, that he was supposedly uh, written goodbye letters. The clinic never actually sent them on. They never sent on 
on uh, his uh, personal belongings either. The family never got them. They had to actually uh, go to the police and the police find out what happened to him. So he was missing for two or three weeks without the clinic actually informing the family. I mean, that must be horrific on top of everything else. So, you know, obviously we don't want that happening. But at the same time, we can't use this awful case to suggest that everyone should just uh, be able to just pop to a clinic in the UK either. Uh, there should be, what we should be focusing on is prevention and more mental yeah. health services and more mm. money going into to hospitals, uh, which, which we know there are massive waiting lists. People aren't being seen, Rick. The focus is on the wrong thing, basically. And this was a very, very tragic case. And we don't want that to happen again. But we want more money going in to the right things, not the wrong ones. Well, you know, a disgusting story, quite frankly, we're going to cover now about squandering of money. And again, it compares against, you know, people dying because of uh, lack of mental health services, maybe suicide prevention uh, facilities or, you know, just facilities that are available in communities to help people that are hurting at grassroots level are closing or not working because of lack of funding. And then we have here some figures that were published yesterday in the Irish Mail on Sunday, illegal migration is a monster taxpayer funded industry in Ireland. Listen to this, five companies, five companies housing illegal immigrants were paid 100 million euro and 184 businesses made at least a million each, Natalie, in six months. In six months, five companies made 100 million euro and 184 companies made a million each. That's 184 million euro. Do the mathematics. That's nearly a third of a billion euro going towards housing, asylum seekers, etc. 184 million and 100 million in six months. And yet we can't have local mental health charities closing down facilities because they say we don't have the money. I, I, I despair, quite frankly, when yeah. I read stories like this. It's beyond belief. It shows that illegal immigration is actually a business of some people mm -hmm. and that there are big profits to be made. We've got a very quick caller, though. Bernie oh. is here. Um, is that is that Bernie that we've had on the show before? It is indeed. Good morning to you both. How are you? Hiya. Hey, Bernie. How are yeah, you doing? Good. I'm very well, very well. Listen, I know you're pushed for time, but I just wanted to have a very quick chat about uh, your comments about racism and that... Um, uh -huh. Just ignoring it might be a better solution. And I just wondered, I can see some of the logic for that, but how is that different from, for example, dealing with discrimination? I mean, isn't there an element that if you ignore this stuff, it just doesn't go away because some people will continue to be racist and it does need dealing with in the same way that if people discriminate against others, you can't get rid of that by just ignoring it. Mm. I, I, think I don't Bernie think it should be ignored. I just, I, I meant, Bernie, that it... it if you highlight it to the extent that it has, you're causing more division and that in itself causes more uh, racism and discrimination because mm. it's in people's eyes constantly. Like there should be no politics in football. They shouldn't have been taking the knee. It's actually increased since they've been doing that. I don't mean ignore it completely, but just not focus every day. Do you see what I mean, Rick? 
Yeah, I think, Bernie, as well, the thing is, this is something that we'll never be able to eradicate completely because the point that I was making is when you put tens of thousands of people together in one place, you're you're not going to be able to police everybody. And there, if certainly if someone's caught and they're making racist slurs or making and, uh, and comments against people, maybe threatening people, if the police hear that or if a, if a prosecution could be made on that, then certainly that should be pursued. But by and large, it's like bullying at school, people calling other kids nasty names at school uh, you can put them in detention you can suspend them maybe and boot them out of the school but there's always going to be another kid comes along to deal with it but i do take your point i mean and make it very clear yeah, we absolutely. don't condone this at all it's disgusting and it's and, abhorrent yeah but unfortunately where there's people and people of mouths and voices and maybe again like i said you mix in a lot of uh, prejudice and a little bit of alcohol unfortunately i don't think we're ever going to stamp this problem out completely but we certainly can't condemn it no and, and I think if, as, as people have commented, and you have probably as well before, it's it's usually um, people's um, concern is ignorance of other people, and it's their it's yes. fear of yeah. different cultures, different habits that, yes. that mm -hmm. causes a lot of it. It yeah. is, and, it is. and I, I would like to say, if I, I said probably the wrong word, when I mean ignore, obviously don't ignore cases of people who are being racist or in the wrong, but not to talk about it day in, day out, because otherwise it's in the forefront of people's minds and it does then make make the racist people more racist, sadly, uh, is the real problem, isn't it, Rick? It is, but uh, hopefully uh, that uh, addresses uh, your question there, Bernie, and we do really appreciate uh, you calling in. It's lovely to hear from you again. Thank you, Bernie. 2024, so big thanks to you, Bernie. And also for you lovely people for all your messages in the live chat. We appreciate every single one of them, all the contributions there. Natalie and I are now done for today, but we will be back tomorrow morning, bright and early, 9 a.m. UK time with more magic here on Open Line. Stay tuned. I'm Rick Munn. I'll be back for Locked and Loaded after the news. So, yeah. More magic to come here on the one and only TNT, today's news talk.